0: Here's Lisa, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald.
1: Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with Lisa with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest, who is my guest of today. Well, my guest is a phenomenal spitfire by the name of Mark Gober. Mark Gober is a best-selling author, a partner at Sherpa Technology Group in Silicon Valley, a former investment banker with UBS in New York, and former captain of the Princeton tennis team. His worldview was turned upside down in late 2016 when he was exposed to world-changing science, which suggested that contrary to mainstream assumptions, consciousness is not produced by the brain. After researching extensively, he wrote an end to upside-down thinking to introduce the general public to these cutting-edge ideas – all in an effort to encourage a much-needed global shift in scientific and existential thinking. Mark's best-selling book has been endorsed by leading thinkers such as former Harvard neurosurgeon Dr. Eben Alexander, Nobel Peace Prize nominee Dr. Irvin Laszlo, and actress Goldie Hahn, and many others. Wow, quite the repertoire. Welcome to the show, Mark. How are you, my friend?
2: Thanks so much, Lisa. I'm happy to be chatting with you.
1: Well, this is awesome. We were just saying before we went live here that uh, it's been quite some time coming, and here we are. It's on the calendar, so I'm so glad to be joined by you today because this is such an interesting topic, and it's not one that many people would have necessarily a lot of insights into or know all the cutting-edge research in which you do. So why don't we first, as I always do, knowing that this is unscripted, but I am always particularly interested initially in finding out a little bit of the backstory. So what was it that propelled you into the direction where this subject matter would even be of any remote interest to you?
2: Yeah, It's a great starting point because uh, based on what your listeners have heard about my book, you might assume that this has been kind of a lifelong passion or something like that, but actually it's been fairly recent. Um, This all started for me in July of, or excuse me, about August of 2016 when I first heard a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a show called Extreme Health Radio, and I heard a woman on the show. I wasn't even like singling this one out. It, it was just the next one on. And she talked about psychic abilities, and she talked about communications with the deceased. And she was just saying these things as if they were totally normal because she experiences them all the time. Um, and at the end of that interview, the woman's name, her name's Laura Powers, she talked about her own podcast, which is called Healing Powers. And she said she, on that podcast, she speaks with other people that have had similar experiences So at that time, I was just looking for other things to listen to, and I thought her interview was pretty interesting because the topics she talked about were just things I'd never really heard of in a serious Mm -hmm. way. And then I ended up listening to all of the episodes on her podcast dating back to 2011. So I listened to the whole series in a very short amount of time, and I realized that there were many, many people that were describing a picture of reality and consciousness that I had not been familiar with previously. And I was having a hard time reconciling the fact that all these people were describing something so similar, even though they were coming at it from independent and pretty different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So that caused me to say, well, I need to look at this, because if if any of these things are actually real, then I have to rethink my picture of reality, because my picture of reality was previously the conventional one, which we'll discuss and define what that is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the long, long story short is that I ended up researching for about a year where all I wanted to do if I wasn't at the office, because I I still do work in Silicon Valley in the business world, when I wasn't in the office, all I wanted to do was research these topics. And I was looking not just at podcasts, but I started looking at primary resources from, uh, for example, a lab at Princeton University that was run for almost 30 years by the former dean of engineering. I was looking at research from the University of Virginia, from the U.S. government and the CIA, and it was all converging in the same direction. So, at that point this was in the summer of 2017 now a year later i decided to write the book and that's the book and an into upside down thinking which was published in october of 2018
1: fantastic okay so just so that the the listeners here and eventually the podcast subscribers have some clarity and some insight into who you are as to why there would be a correlation of interest between who you are as an individual and why this would be a particularly important subject matter for you. So were you somebody who was always immersed in the world of personal growth, personal development, mindset, leadership, all those types of topics that would be subcategories for what it is when we're talking about consciousness on its own as its sole entity?
0: Hmm.
2: Now looking back, I can see hints of it, but I wasn't... Mm -hmm. I don't think I was into that world in a big way. I mean, because just the business world really took over for me. And prior to that, I I was a competitive tennis player. And then in college, I was captain of the team at Princeton. So that was like a a huge part of my life between tennis and academics and then business. Um, But in the back of my mind, I think I was always very analytical and, and thinking about thinking, thinking about how we think and psychology. And my major in college was psychology, but I focused on behavioral economics So it was psychology as applied to business and decision-making. So I think those hints were there. And now when I look back at just kind of my mindset and how I thought about life, I used to have a pretty bleak outlook. And the outlook went kind of like this. I thought that when you die, consciousness stops functioning, meaning we have no awareness, no memories, no emotions or feelings once you die. And therefore it was difficult if not impossible to find true meaning in life because once you're dead it's over so yeah you can try to find meaning while you're living but ultimately it's just a rationalization why does any of it matter and these were kind of questions that would go on in the back of my head when i was doing things where i would either have immense pain or or immense pleasure i would in the back of my mind i'd say wait why do you really care mark in the end it's not going to matter and that is Based, I think that line of thinking is, is kind of a logical conclusion that follows from our education system of what we believe about consciousness, that consciousness stops when the brain and the body stop because there is this belief system that the brain is what's producing our conscious experience. And that's kind of where I came from. So I would say that, to answer your question, I did probably have some hints of interest in personal growth and development, and I had some hints of interest in existence. And I had a Mm -hmm. point of view on it.
1: Beautiful. So knowing that there's a contrast, the before and after mindset that you've now adopted based on research, based on this being a very pivotal point of interest for you, how has this played out in your life in terms of from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed and even when you're sleeping, what's changed for you in terms of the configuration of your day? What is it that occupies what's going on inside of you that emits the kind of energy that would be uh, synonymous with consciousness?
2: Well, things have shifted drastically for me and it's, it's a recontextualization of identity at the most fundamental level. The assumption that the brain produces the awareness or consciousness that everyone listening to this discussion has right now, we all have consciousness. And that the the conventional perspective is that that consciousness is a product of chemical reactions that are happening in our skull, in our brain. And that, that, that line of reasoning creates one view of identity, which is that my identity is my body and my body has a consciousness, but my identity is my body. So that has a whole set of implications. The mm-hmm. reverse, which is what my book is about, it's, it's all the science pointing in this general direction, which says, no, our identity is our consciousness, and the body is the vehicle through which consciousness is having an experience of a physical world. So that shift in identity, which didn't happen overnight, it took a lot of research to get me to the point where that's what I think is most likely to be true, that shifts how I think about everything throughout the day. It's sort of like... If you think about a fish that's swimming in, in water.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: A fish isn't necessarily aware at first that it's in water because it's just so obvious, but it's in water whether it likes it or not. And if it accepts that it's in water, then it might behave in a certain way to appreciate <laughs> its, its reality. And that's kind of where things have, kind of, have gone for me, where maybe before I was just the fish not realizing it was in water, and now I see a much broader picture of reality, and now I'm identifying with a, a much broader picture.
1: Love it. Well, I have to say that I wholeheartedly subscribe to what it is that we're talking about here and what your book is premised on. Um, So you're very much preaching to the preacher with all of this, but this is very much an important subject matter uh, because, of course, the people who gravitate to this show, it's very much they are hungry for this type of resonance, uh, these types of insights and different perspectives, because, again, ultimately, you don't know what you don't know. And so in terms of this subject matter, how many people are universally discussing this? How many people have tapped into the knowledge and the research in which you have where this would be something that would be impacting people's level of consciousness or enhancing their level of self-awareness?
2: Well, it's interesting you ask that because when I first started this line of research, I didn't realize that anyone was interested in this. I mean, I, I know I, I saw that some scientists and certain people that I heard on podcasts were having individual experiences, but I didn't realize how that there was actually a huge community of people around the world that are already familiar with these topics. And it's like you said, it's kind of preaching to the choir. Uh, it's, it's obvious to certain people, but there are huge segments of the population that I'm well aware of, whether it's the business world or otherwise, I mean, not every single person, but generally who are unaware of these topics. And that's why I decided to write a book to try to, like, bridge the gap and, and provide that information to what I think is a very large segment of the population that might be able to benefit from understanding reality in an updated way, whereas the conventional education system is not teaching some of these things. So it's hard for me to say numbers of people, but I, I would mm-hmm. say that it's a, a very large percentage of the population that this concept would be applicable to.
1: Beautiful. And so, what has this done for you in the business world? I'd like to break it down to different categories of of who you are and how this parlays into every aspect of your being. So, how has this level of understanding and this level of consciousness enriched or enhanced your experience uh, and your interactions with people and just your your relationship with self in the business world? I would
2: say, maybe in, in two primary ways, in the business world, it's had an effect, and I'm sure there are others. One is, is viewing people as being less separate than I used to view people. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you buy into the old perspective, which in scientific terms is called materialism, that consciousness comes from physical matter in the brain, okay, that's the, the kind of the old paradigm in, in my perspective. And that perspective basically says that there's a me that has a personal consciousness, then there's a you that has a personal consciousness, and there's no connection, at a fundamental level. It's just We are completely separate people. And that has a whole set of like implications on how we treat other people. I, and I always like to treat people well, but now I, I see that there's a deeper connection that's going mm-hmm. on. And the analogy that I use in the book is one from Dr. Bernardo Castro, who says that we should imagine that all of reality is like a stream of water, where water represents consciousness. And each of us is like a whirlpool within that stream, meaning we have boundaries so apparent boundaries, but fundamentally, we're connected as part of the same stream of consciousness. So it's like we're having these localized experiences. So it seems like we're separate, but we're not actually separate. And once one internalizes that idea that at the fundamental level of reality, we're connected. And to give another example, the Nobel Prize winning physicist Erwin Schrodinger, he said, in truth, there is only one mind. And that's the same idea of the kind of the single stream of consciousness that we're a part of. That has a big implications for how we think about treating other people, whether it's in the business world or otherwise. There is this sense of connectedness, even if we appear to be different or, or even if we have different perspectives. So I think that, that point of view has shifted things in the business world because now I just look at every other person as a different, se- basically a different configuration or a different expression of the same consciousness and not as separate. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Big difference. Another is probably a recontextualization of money and material goods in general. And I think, I think money is, and material things are important in the sense that we, we live in a physical world and there are things we need in a physical body to survive and to thrive. So it's, it's very important in that sense, but maybe from the materialistic sense, which is my old world view, the I don't know if the kind of the implied way of living is to like make as much money as you can and Mm -hmm. accumulate as much material stuff as you can because the universe is just material and that's it. And you only once you die, it's over. So it's like one life, live it and just get as much as you can (laughs) materially, whether people say it like that or not. Now I, I view the material stuff as just being enhancements to life And also ways of contributing to the world. If we're all connected, then the contributions to the world matter a lot more. So that's how I view the financial part of the business world, which is that it's, number one, it's necessary to live in this new context of reality I'm describing. And the funds that are generated can be used in ways to enhance the world.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so let's parallel this with something else here. So when we're talking about, consciousness or and we parallel that for the example of what i'm trying to illustrate here and and dig deep with you on this uh subject matter further so if we look at religion okay so people whatever it is and what whatever it's indicative and representative to them whether we call it god whether we call it buddha whether we call it source so if we flip that in comparison to the subject matter of consciousness do you Do you see an interconnectedness? Again, I'm asking these questions specifically for the purpose of the listening audience to really wrap their heads around this. Uh, You know, do you do you see this? Do you see it as synonymous with like vibration, energy, uh, manifestation, visualization? To what degree do you see that all falling within the same spectrum under the umbrella of consciousness?
0: Hmm.
2: The overlap with religions that I've seen is that particularly the mystical traditions within Mm -hmm. every religion, whether it's the Eastern religions or even in the West, Kabbalah and Judaism, Gnosticism and Christianity, Sufism and Islam, they're all pointing to this very similar picture of reality in which consciousness is the basis of everything and that we Mm -hmm. are connected as part of the same universal consciousness. So I have found that that idea is the underpinning of many mystical traditions. And some of the religions that are offshoots of the mystical upbringing, so to speak, they will allude to those ideas, but maybe have different perspectives on them. And and that can vary by by the religious tradition. So I think there is an overlap there. And it's certainly not where I started. It's kind of like I I use this line of research where I saw individual phenomena like psychic abilities and, and surviving bodily death, things like that. And then once I saw strong evidence for those things, I needed a framework that could account for them and realize that there are many scientists and, and philosophers in the space who are arguing that consciousness is the fundamental aspect of reality. And once I realized that that worked pretty well to account for these phenomena, that is the exact thing that many of these traditions have been saying for a long time. So I think there is an overlap there. The terms that are used for that consciousness, they can vary. And I, I tend to personally try to stay away from them because many of the terms have strong connotations. And even mm-hmm. though they might at the core mean something that's, that's in alignment with this, they might include things that do not align with it. So I like to think of, when I say consciousness, I mean the subjective inner experience that we have, or it's kind of the awareness that we all have right now. It's not something that you can touch, but it's something that you experience. That's what I mean by consciousness. And what I'm saying Another analogy is when I say that I am speaking right now, I, that's what I mean by consciousness, that sense of identity that's not physical or tangible. So when I say consciousness, I mean that, and I mean it not just at the individual I, but at the interconnected I. And like I said, there are many terms that people can use to describe that.
1: Love it. Okay, so when you're talking about consciousness as it relates to you specifically, and the fact that you're more attuned to it, the, the fact that you're more tapped in, uh, you know, what is it that you are feeling at a vibrational level in terms of sensory, in terms of a thought, in terms of, you know, really seeing the universal signs uh, lining up for you, where you're looking at things perhaps a lot differently than you would have traditionally speaking? where you know life is just happening to you as opposed to you being the participant some people would say you're the creator of your own reality so what is it for you that you feel like you are more astutely aware of in your day-to-day tangible experience and i know it kind of contradicts and goes against the grain for consciousness, but in a way that the listeners can understand what type of energy, resonance, what, what's going on for, your, for you that you are so much more plugged into than perhaps before?
2: I, I think there are a number of things that I can describe. One is that I think I'm much more sensitive to negative energies.
1: Yes, yep.
2: That's, I've noticed that, and whether it's from a person or from a place, I, at first I didn't know what it was, and now I'm realizing... I, I can always kind of tie it back to that. When there's negativity around, even reading words that are negative, I'm much more sensitized to that, and I feel it on a visceral, physical level. Yes. So, so it kind of steers me away from those things because I don't, it doesn't make me feel very good. And so that's one thing that's come up. Another is a, a term that's often used called synchronicity, yep. where uh, things kind of align in, in the universe that are very hard to explain where I'll be thinking of something and then it starts to come up all over the place and maybe we could say that it's chance occurrence but sometimes they're happening in ways that it's like hard to reason that it's just chance and it, it ties back to this idea of that we're connected as part of the same stream and even in quantum physics it's, which is one of the things I discuss in the book there's a mm-hmm. phenomenon known as entanglement where you have particles that are physically separate from each other And even though they're separate, when you affect one of them, the other one that's far away is affected at the same exact instant, which is this interconnectedness that we see at the level of reality. And sometimes it seems to almost manifest in life where there's a a distant connection between Mm -hmm. things that I can't really explain. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so let's talk about the law of attraction because a lot of what you're you're describing, a lot of people would understand it under the verbiage of law of attraction. And so knowing how sensitized you are to energy uh, and looking at the dualities of knowing the positive energy, choosing to always... Uh, operate at your highest vibrational level, therefore choosing to consciously emit that energetically out into the world, knowing that energetically it is a boomerang and it does come back. So there is ties to law of attraction. Let's talk a little bit about what that means to you and how else that has shown up for you in your life.
2: The way I, I have understood the law of attraction is that what we, what we hold in our mental state can manifest in the physical world. Mm -hmm. in ways that we don't necessarily see happening linearly, but it's like you kind of focus on something then it eventually happens in ways you can't explain. That phenomenon at a much smaller scale is something that I discuss in the book, and I think this might be helpful for your listeners to see that there's science to suggest that the mind can affect physical matter, which Mm -hmm. at a conceptual level, if we consider the reality to be like the stream of consciousness, that conceptually makes sense because if consciousness is fundamental then everything in the material world is happening within consciousness. So that means shift consciousness, it will shift the physical manifestation of reality. It's like the physical world is almost malleable, at least conceptually. Now the evidence for that, at least small scales, um, are studies that were done at Princeton and, and they've been done elsewhere, where there are machines, they're called random number generators, so these are just computers, that will generate a zero or a one in a totally random fashion. So when you look at the string of zeros and ones after a mm-hmm. long time, it ends up with 50% ones, 50% zeros, because it's totally random. It's almost like flipping a coin, and you're getting 50% heads and tails over a long period of time. What the experimenters ask people to do, and these are just everyday people, they say, I want you to put your mental attention to the machine and try to will it to make more ones and zeros.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And when people do that, they end up changing the behavior of the machines in a very, very tiny way. And it requires statistics to see that there is a deviation from just the 50-50. But in fact, what happens is that there will end up being slightly more ones than zeros, and it's in a significant manner according to, to, to statistics. In other words, it seems that the mind is actually having a real effect on the machine without touching it at all and being far away from it. So it's, it seems that the mind is having an effect. And that is pointing in the direction to say that our mental the the way that our mindset works can affect the physical world around us, and it's interesting you asked this question because I, I, I attended the Conscious Life Expo conference in LA, and uh, recently, and I actually gave a talk there, but I heard another talk by a physicist named Nassim Haramein, who is kind of in this realm as well, talking about the physics of interconnectedness, and he was talking about how it's the universe is in a feedback system. So while it's true that our intentions can affect reality reality is affecting us so there is a feedback it's not just that we are it's it's like a 50-50 is the way he was describing it at least in terms of the physics he does that we are putting something out but then the universe is also imparting on us so there maybe our limitations in the way that we can affect reality
1: amazing well and you know we can talk about let's 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 uh let's dial back on that a little bit so when we're talking about limitations we're talking about energy I think whether we're talking about, you know, law of attraction or we're talking about consciousness, you know, it's really what you put your attention on grows stronger. And for the example that you cited, there have been many thousands of those same types of um, demonstrations or research to support what it is you're talking about in terms of ideology and understanding and backing it up. So, you know, whether you're talking about two glasses of water and you're talking about something that's growing And, you know, somebody who's professing negativity, uh, things that are counterintuitive to the one glass versus the other glass where you're really ramping it up and it's all positive and it's good vibrations, then you start to see what's happening as a byproduct to each individual uh, source. And, you know, you see mold in one or you start to see things decaying, you start to see things digressing, whereas the other one is flourishing and taking off. And we know this to be true with all kinds of different studies. We know this when you're talking with uh, expectant mothers, you know, talk to the unborn child, you know, love the child, connect with the child, bond with the child. And that produces a different kind of result than somebody who doesn't know how to nurture, somebody who doesn't know how to Uh, the power of words and languaging. So, I mean, there's so many different worldwide examples in which to illustrate the point that you very clearly made, Mark, which I appreciate because examples work really well for the listeners and just for people in general. Um, And interconnectedness, very true. You know, when we say that we are all one and going back to what you said initially at the top of the hour, you know, where you saw yourself as a separate entity, kind of like an us and them, uh, not from a divisiveness standpoint necessarily, but just from a physicality standpoint, not understanding the synergies of synchronicities. And yes, we, all, we are all interconnected. So what do you notice as a result of maybe perhaps some of your daily rituals? Maybe now as a result of how this really resonates with you, you've reconfigured what the whole outset of your day looks like from the, the moment that you wake up in terms of your rituals, your mantras, uh, meditation, things that you... Uh, are honing things that you regurgitate over and over again knowing that this the repetition of that Uh, The repetition of the the, the counterintuitive thoughts versus the intuitive thoughts is what really sets the stage for the energy of where it is you say you want to go in the trajectory of your life, what it is you want to accomplish, the types of people you want to attract in your life, the types of results you want to attract in your business, the types of people you want to have in your immediate circle. So let's talk about some of those things that have changed in terms of just your day-to-day and how this has impacted your DNA in your non-negotiables.
2: Well, I think one of the reasons I was initially drawn to all of this is that uh, my perspective is that our view of reality is how we end up we'll, we'll govern how we act in the world. And that's mm-hmm. probably true for every single person. The way that they act in the world is directly proportional or direct, directly related to their per- perception of reality, what they think reality is. So for me, it's a constant reminder throughout the day, and it's probably happening at, at increased levels as I've gotten more immersed in this topic – which is what is my perspective of reality and what is my perspective of identity? So it's kind of an identification with the witness, the witness level experiencer of my life Mm
0: -hmm. with
2: the consciousness itself. So identifying with the consciousness and it's kind of a subjective exercise that anyone can do identifying with that rather than with the body and viewing the body as the, the vehicle of the experience so that has been kind of a practice that probably happens at a subconscious level, but then sometimes consciously when I feel like I'm getting sucked into something that is less pleasant in this physical world that causes negativity, I can pull back into this reality that I seem to think things are now. And that can occur when we, be, when we become the witness, when we become the consciousness that is experiencing our life rather than just being kind of stuck as the body.
0: hmm
1: And are you sensing that more people, and of course, maybe it's, it's a little bit, um, difficult to discern the difference because of course, for what you're now describing and how it is you choose to live your life and how you understand your own reality, you would only be inclined to be drawn towards like-minded people, like people who have the same similar synergy and energy to yourself. But knowing the contrast again, of other people who would be deemed as so-called asleep, uh, Versus the people who are somewhat now awakened and enlightened, you know, when you start to see other people who haven't adopted this or they don't understand this or it's not part of their DNA or how their, their views or outlook on the world, um, what are you starting to see or notice a little bit more clearly as a result of the contrast for the people who might still, and I don't say this judgmentally, but in terms of discerning the difference between people who are awakened and people who are still asleep? What's going on at that other level where people haven't just kind of tapped into, there's a bigger picture here. There's more at play, whether you can taste it, touch it, feel it, or sense it. Mm.
2: At first, this was a really hard thing for me because most of the world that I had been in was this world that was not aware of these topics, or if they were aware, they weren't talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so that was difficult because I felt like I was, I was operating from a reality, a different reality than they were. And and I didn't really know how to handle that at first. Now it's especially in the business world and, and elsewhere. Um, it's it's a matter of of handling the tasks at hand, whatever the task is, whether it's a social event or a business event, and kind of just operating on where there's common ground. And mm-hmm. it's actually it's easy to do that. And maybe I'm less interested in certain things than I used to be. But um, I think your point about non-judgmentalism—that's a really key thing to do because. Um, everyone's at different stages of their own growth and none is better than another. They're just different stages. Absolutely.
1: So
2: having that appreciation for things, I think, can make it much easier to be on those levels with someone. But if there's negativity, that's a different story. If there's negativity, I have a much harder time with it and we will probably try to avoid those situations.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how that plays out in the workforce uh, for what it is that you do specifically, and, and whether it be the team that you're running or the team that you are are a part of, or whether it's introducing new clients. When you start to see the friction that's going on with other people, but you there is a judiciary, there's a there's a due diligence, there's a relationship that needs to be carved out. And you know, if the client's always right. If the customer is always right and you kind of have to fulfill that script a little bit to be that person for, you know, the collective of the business, the bottom line, the whatever. How do you deal with people that you're forced to have to deal with? It's not necessarily a choice in your personal life, not the people who you would necessarily deem or subscribe to being a tribe, vibe attracting tribe. But the people that you're forced to have to deal with and you know that they're operating at a lower vibrational level, or they're not looking at things from a deeper perspective than you are in terms of having a much richer experience, a much richer interaction. How do you deal with the conflict of forced conflict within the environment that you have to work within?
2: Well, even if we enter a situation that we would deem to be le- negative or, or just something that doesn't feel as right to us, we mm-hmm. still have the choice of how we approach the situation. Yes. Regardless of what the externals like. So I think that means we can come in with a positive attitude and try to bring that energy no matter what is happening around us. And I think that's the first step. The other thing I would, I would say based on my own personal experience is that those situations that you were describing that are a bit more negative, they have mm-hmm. started to happen less and less around me. And I don't know if that's coincidence or if it's because I am now coming with a different perspective and therefore yes. the things in my life are, are more positive too.
1: Well, and I want to talk about that word coincidence because I personally don't believe in coincidences. I personally don't believe in mistakes. I think it's all about uh, synergistic, co-creation, alignment, all of that yummy stuff. And so again, when people are tapped into where they're putting their area of focus on and if it is within the category of positivity uh, or high energy, then that's what you're going to attract. What you emit is what you attract. So there's no surprise to me, based on what you've just said or described, Mark, that you're feeling or experiencing less resistance with people, that there's more ease, that there's more... Because, again, yes, part of it is you're consciously aware of your own approach. You're aware of your own growth. You're aware of your own uh, choice of verbiage, how you approach people, how you approach a situation. Um, So there's no surprise to me that you're finding this to become more of a reduced circumstance where there's negativity uh, combined or or interwoven within this. Um, So let's talk a little bit about coincidence. You know, do you believe in coincidences? Hmm.
2: I would say less and less at this point. Yes. (laughs) In the beginning, I definitely thought things were just random. And now I I think I'm at the point where I, I realize how much I don't know. Yeah, and I kind of give up. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. All I can do is be my best self in the present moment, and everything else is really an inference. And I can think I can grab onto little facts here and there. But the more I learn, I, the more I realize there's a huge body of stuff that I don't know, and maybe our human mind is incapable of comprehending at a linear level.
1: Well, I'd have to agree with that. I would absolutely have to agree with that. And and I think you also touched upon something pivotal there, too, because when we're talking about creating that space within ourselves and what it is that's occupying or inhabiting our space at the conscious level, not just within our physical bodies, our vessels, but in terms of... The negativity that people still hold on to, things that they haven't gotten closure on, say, 10 years ago. Well, when you make a conscious choice to relinquish the things that of which no longer serves you, that which is counterintuitive, that which is, uh, you know, it's done, it's in the past, it's behind you. By relinquishing that and making a conscious decision in which to get rid of that You're creating an opening for the gateway for all the great things that you want to show up in your life. That which is intuitive, that which serves your soul, honors your purpose, that which is more in alignment with who you are on the trajectory of where you're going and the types of people you want to be surrounded by. Um, So what have you, asides from, and you've already encapsulated this in in your answers throughout the interview, but in terms of tangible uh, examples, what have you relinquished in your space mark in order to open up that opening or the gateway for the good stuff to come in, the yummy stuff? Mm-hmm.
2: There are a few things I can think of. One is, is diet.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think I'm, I'm more sensitive to food as well. And I've, I've worked with many different alternative healers, whether it's acupuncturists or, or Reiki healers. So I've tried things like that. And what has come about is just a, a different view on health which I wish I had had as a competitive athlete, because I'm sure it would have helped everything. <laughs> but yes. uh, uh, in hi- hindsight, it's 20-20. I, so I think the food that we put into our bodies and the way we take care of our body, that is really impactful. Because if we think of the body as being like the vehicle of consciousness, and one of the analogies that I use is that the brain is definitely related to consciousness. It's just not producing it. The brain's more like an antenna receiver in the same way that if you're watching the television – if, if the antenna on the TV is damaged, then maybe the, the, the show appears fuzzy on your screen. But mm-hmm. it's not because the television was making the show. The show was arriving via a signal that comes from outside the set. And the signal itself is undamaged, even if the, the TV is damaged or if the antenna is damaged. So the, the vehicle, what the antenna, we'll call that maybe just the whole body, is, in, is impacting the way we are experiencing consciousness. So, if we keep this antenna vehicle in good shape, then we will have a certain experience of the signal, so to speak, a, a different experience than if we're not taking care of the body. And I think that's been a big one to be much more aware of, of the body and making sure it's getting enough sleep and getting enough rest, whether it's not just sleep, but just like resting um, mm-hmm. and also putting good food into the body.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, in terms of your book because I want to give you an opportunity to plug where can people find your book where can people buy your book if people want to reach out to you to talk more in uh private uh about some of the things that they're discovering or some of the things that are shifting within themselves and they feel like they're kind of not embraced by other people within their lives but they know that they're talking to people like you who would have a sense of of what they're doing and creating that safe and space and it being inclusive where can people reach out to you mark
2: my website, which Mark. is just my name, markgober.com, markgober.com. that has more mm-hmm. information on me and my book, and there's a contact page at the website. And you can fill out a form, and, and I will get those messages and we'll be happy to answer any questions.
1: Okay. Now, the other thing that I would personally be very interested in knowing is, you know, you and I are very similar when I talk about parallels. It's not just the types of things that we gravitate towards in terms of knowledge or consciousness or knowing that there's a bigger picture and much more at play out there, being author, all of that kind of stuff. But in terms of... um you know, really trying to connect the dots and really focusing on the things that serve us. You know, what is it that you feel, and maybe as an imparting piece to the listening audience, you know, what is it that you could really impress upon people to be more mindful of or to contemplate or consider? Because maybe some people are still at that point where they don't know what to think or maybe they're still struggling with issues within themselves, uh, where you know they're still grappling with some things and taking this on as another dimension of thinking is just too overwhelming for them. But there is that point of key interest. What would you say to people in terms of like maybe baby steps, going back to your own journey with when you embarked upon finding out more about this? What would you say to the listeners in terms of the benefits of thinking like this, or understanding, or or looking at this from a deeper level? Mm. What are the benefits?
2: So I remember when I first started to tell friends about the research I was doing. And I had one friend in particular who was a really smart guy who said, look, Mark, what you're saying is probably right. And I realized that if I did the research that you're doing, I would probably shift my thinking also. But I don't want to do it because my life is pretty good as is and I don't want to rock the boat. Mm. And I said, OK, that's fine. But the way I think about things is that if we are not in alignment with what reality actually is, then reality at some point will rock us. Yes. So it's like, it's worth it to get in alignment with things. It's it's like the fish in water. You can deny the fact that you're in water, but when the water freezes, you will be subject to that. Or when the water boils, you will be subject to it as well. So getting, just having the understanding of what's happening around us, I think is always preferable. So that's been my preference is to understand reality at the most granular, granular level that I can. And the Mm -hmm. way that I wanted to make that accessible to people based on at least the way my mind works is through a more, I guess, intellectual way, which is to, to break down the issue and look at old assumptions. And that can, be, that can cause shifts in people that I think tend to be more gradual. I mean, I have heard from people that they'll start reading my book and then they'll have crazy synchronicities that they've never seen before, where it kind of mm-hmm. starts there. Uh, but it seems like the most drastic changes occur in people that have had, I'll call a mystical experience whether it's through meditation, which can take a really long time and it's unpredictable. Sometimes people talk about it with psychedelics, but that can have all kinds of risks uh, along with the potential positives. But people can sometimes describe a big shift there. Near-death experiences, again, that comes with a lot of risk because you might end up dying. (laughs) Like cardiac arrest is an example where someone has a near-death experience, but in many cases, they're not even resuscitated. So to me, that maybe the most conservative route would be to align with this picture of reality in the way we think, whether it's through meditation or just contemplation. And then maybe an even slower way is the, the route that I hope to enable in people, which is the academic or just like how we think about reality and what kinds of evidence we're aware of. And to me, it always stems with the question, does the brain produce consciousness? And what I was shocked to learn in my, in my research is that science has no good answer to this question. And you'd think that we would know the answer already. It's like, I I would have thought it was a foregone conclusion that the reason that we are conscious is solely because of our brain. I didn't realize that Science Magazine has called this the number two question that remains in all of science. And in philosophy, it's called the hard problem of consciousness. This is the open secret. Science does not understand consciousness, even though every scientist is conscious. They have no way to explain their own consciousness. And of course, what I argue is that the reason we haven't solved this hard problem which is how does the brain produce consciousness, is that we're asking the wrong question. There mm. is no The brain does not produce consciousness, and that's why we haven't figured out the answer. And that's what I, in the book, I, I look at various pieces of scientific evidence, which all point in that direction. And so at least for me, it's been the exposure to all of these areas of evidence and science that kind of put me in the, at the point of no return where I couldn't reconcile my old world view with all of this new evidence that seemed to be so credible. And that's, that's what shifted things for me, is, is the exposure to the evidence. Even if at first I didn't believe all of it, it was this alternative possibility. And so, so I think for listeners who are maybe looking to make a shift or make, looking to make a gradual shift, I think exposure to information is one way. Another way is what we just talked about earlier where we can kind of identify with our consciousness rather than our body. And then meditation, which is kind of a more extreme example of that contemplation. In meditation, you you kind of embody that witness setting. And in yoga and other practices too, it's a quieting of the mind so that we can kind of be more of this pure consciousness.
1: Beautiful. Well, being cognizant of time, I still have a question I want to ask, though. But being cognizant of time, I just want to give you an opportunity to answer this because I think it's important. So tying this back to you, have you had a mystical experience? Have you dealt with premonitions? Have you had an out-of-body experience? Has there been a different type of clarity that's rung true where people would say describe that as synchronicity, or other people would say, "Oh, that was a coincidence." Can you describe some of that for us and the listeners? Yes.
2: So I haven't had a mystical experience in in the sense of like comparing it to a psychedelic experience or a near-death experience where I'm in another realm Mm -hmm. and I have not had something like that but I have had many synchronicities many premonitions or instances of precognition where now they have at first I was writing them all down and now I Mm -hmm. stop because it's like commonplace (laughs) but I'll give you a good (laughs) example I love that. I'll, I'll give you a good example, and it's funny that others who have kind of been on this journey with me, different friends, they they started with the same thing, where they would write everything down, and now they it just happens all the time, so they stop. But there's one example that I remember that was that just stands out. Um, I the second book I ever read, because of course I started with podcasts, then I decided to read books. was a book called The Sacred Promise by Dr. Gary Schwartz who's a psychology PhD at the University of Arizona. He has a Harvard PhD, really smart guy who has gotten into this realm, which is of course controversial. Um, He he wrote a book on communications with the deceased and studies that have been, been done on that. But in that book talks about synchronicity. And I had never heard of that term before. And I remember I was... I had one friend who's in the personal development space and she was one of the first people that I was even comfortable mentioning these ideas to. Mm -hmm. And as I was reading that book, I said, I decided to send her a text. I said, oh my God, I'm reading about the synchronicity concept in The Sacred Promise by Dr. Gary Schwartz. You have to check this out. And I don't know why I decided to text that. She goes, no way. And she, the next day, was going to be going to Canyon Ranch, and I didn't know this, where she was going to a lecture and she sent me the flyer of the lecture. And the lecture was was about synchronicities and it was being taught by dr. Gary Schwartz <laughs> and she was the only <laughs> she was the only person to attend
1: the lecture. Wow wow I see and I love this stuff and see. This is so what I choose to immerse my energies in. And these are the types of people that I choose to interview. And, uh, you know, this is the yummy stuff. I mean, you know, just being open-minded to the fact that there is so much out there. And people don't know what they don't know. And sometimes people go through their whole lives thinking that they've, you know, they've mastered everything. That they understand all the concepts. That they, you know, that there is no there is no room to go in terms of understanding other people's perspectives and it's endless. I mean, especially when you subscribe to the fact that you're a student of life, you know you're you're chomping at the bit i every time i'm interviewing someone as i am with you here mark i'm writing things down it doesn't matter that you and i speak the same language it doesn't matter that there's parallels between you and i the ways in which the nuance of how you preface something or you use the example that you just did of your friend right now i write this stuff down because you never know looking back on it the different level of clarity that then offers you for something that you're going through or something that you're trying to gain a, a deeper better understanding of and what that does that for the trajectory of, of going forward and making sense of your own reality, making sense of life, making sense of things like uh, serendipity and, and synchronicity. And uh, I just love all this stuff. I, I could talk to you for hours on this. Um, so I want to give you an opportunity again, Mark, where can people reach out? Are you like coaching or mentoring people about this subject matter? Because knowing that people are operating at different levels of self-awareness, knowing that people are looking for deeper meaning and really establishing what it is that they identify as their purpose in their life and knowing that there's more to the gift of being here than just paying bills and 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 we we are born and then we die. And then, of course, there's always what people believe in the afterlife. Um... But do people, I mean, are you mentoring people on this subject matter? Because I think this is really important.
2: It's funny you asked that. A bunch of people have asked me that recently, if that's something I want to start doing. I'm not doing it in a formal manner, although I have a number of friends that I'm kind of guiding through the process, and it's similar to what you just described. It's very similar to a coaching process, though much more informal. Uh, at this point, I'm, I'm focused on still researching. I'm constantly learning for myself and adjusting my own perspective I also have a podcast that's coming out, hopefully in a few months, and mm-hmm. I've already conducted interviews with about 50 scientists and practitioners in this space, and I'm, I'm, I'm working on a, a, a very creative type of podcast where we'll be releasing the interviews, but the main event is a conversation between me and my producer, who typically does sports shows on TV and, and otherwise, and he's asking me questions about these topics, and I'm answering them, but also splicing in clips from the people that I interviewed who are specialists in certain areas. So that will oh. be eight-episode season that will come out in a few months. And I, I hope that people – I know people take in information in a number of different ways, and I, I think it will be very helpful.
1: Well, fantastic. Congratulations on that. I'm glad to hear that you're, you're inviting and embracing that platform because it's a really good medium to get the message out and to really create true engagement. And there are so many people universally who would be so plugged into your message, uh, aka your podcast. What's your podcast called?
2: We do not have a formal name or a launch date yet, but we will okay. be announcing it via my website again, which is my name, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Wow. And so when we took it, take a look at sports, because I, too, come from a competitive background, you know, my goal was to be an Olympic swimmer, trained with a person who did in fact go to the Olympics to represent Canada. Now, did you, when you look at the competitive aspect of who you are or to have been as successful in the business world as what you are, some people deem that or term that as an A-type personality, has really tapping into your consciousness and understanding things at a, a deeper level kind of softened the competitiveness a little bit or put it into a different understanding for you?
2: It's redirected it. Yeah, It's redirected the competitiveness. For me, the competitiveness is now it's with myself, which I yeah. think it always probably has been to an extent. And it's to kind of understand these principles and master them as much as I can. And doing that, is helpful in life because then we experience less negativity personally. And I think it does affect others around us. And if we're a part of the same stream of consciousness, it's sort of like if by lifting your own water in the sea, it, it, it lifts all ships, ships, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. to speak. So I think there is major benefit in, in putting lots of effort and energy into those personal aspects.
1: Well, and again, I don't think there's any coincidence to the fact that you and I both were in individualistic type sports, right? So we learned from a very young age that you really are in true competition with yourself. You really are committed to the journey of being the best version of who you are every time you show up and you hone your craft or your sport or whatever it is you're doing and putting in those exorbitant amount of hours. And, you know, yes, whether you're talking swimming, I'm, you know, I've got people to the, the, the left of me, I've got people to the right of me, but I'm looking straight ahead at that wall and I'm thinking about shaving time off uh, my my times and and similar with you you know you're you're perfecting your shot and you know you're understanding who it is that you are in competition with so that you can kind of outsmart them in a way, but it, it's doing it strategically in a way that makes you a better tennis player and it gives you a better mental aptitude going into each practice or each game. So I, I think there's something to be said too about the psychology of individual sports versus group sports and how this plays into the whole aspect and arena of consciousness too.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, it's, I agree with you. We have a similar path in that way. And now it's, like I said, it's a redirecting of that energy that used to be in one area to something else.
1: Absolutely. Well, and I think that you would probably have no problems getting people who are in the sport because, I mean, I love sports metaphors. I love sports analogies. And I think there's so many things that parallel and segue quite beautifully when we're talking about personal growth, personal development, uh, or or the journey of self and self-awareness, all of that stuff with sports, because even mentorship, right? I mean, people talk quite extensively about mentorship and coaches, and it's become a bit of a cliche now. Everybody's talking about those types of things, and it's a very oversubscribed, oversaturated industry. Uh, But for people like you and I, who were always into sports, competitive sports, uh, we understood understood mentorship and coaching at a very young age.
2: Yeah, it was part of what we yeah, we, you, you have to have that, especially in, in sports like this that are so competitive.
1: That's right. Mentorship and, and
2: coaching are required
1: Absolutely. Prerequisite, uh, because you can't do it alone. And it doesn't matter how much you identify yourself as being so-called top of the game or in the flow of life or, you know, you've really honed it or you've really mastered it. You know, you, you've, there's always going to be somebody who's done it better or knows more. And you want to always, uh, in terms of being committed to your own personal growth and personal development and the momentum of that, you want to always seek out people who have done what you've done and, and have done it better.
2: Always, always. It's like I remember in tennis. If you if you play a high level tournament, you end up playing better players, and then one's own level of of game rises. Whereas if I played someone who was worse, my level would sometimes go down. So constantly challenging myself was an important thing in tennis, and I think that's applying here to this realm of consciousness of how can I perfect some of these things, how can I improve um, my daily living, how can I improve my mindset so that I'm feeling better and better
1: absolutely well mark i could talk to you forever and you're always welcome to coming back on living fearlessly with lisa mcdonald particularly once the podcast rolls out Uh, i've interviewed a lot of podcasters it's a good way to get exposure and you know borrowing demographics that you wouldn't know necessarily exist in other people's platforms. Um, So I just want to say for what it is that you're doing, uh, for how evolved you are as a human being, for the fact that these things, these subject matters are even on your radar and knowing that by them consciously and you choosing and selecting for these to be on your radar that's naturally innately making you a better human being, it's making you be the best version of yourself so that when you wake up every morning you are truly showing up for people Uh, and really putting it out there in terms of imparting the good stuff and really awakening people, teaching people because again people don't know what they don't know, so people like you I call my tribe Uh, again there's Mm -hmm. there's no judgment it's not about, I mean everybody welcome it's really an inclusivity type uh, community in terms of what it is that I'm trying to foster here with my message of living fearlessly with Lisa McDonald Uh, but people like yourself are my favorite types of guests and my favorite types of human beings we speak the same universal language and I love talking to people when we're talking about the things that you can't see you can't touch but they just exist Right. It flows through us. We gravitate towards it. We attract it. We emit it. It's it's beautiful stuff. Um, so for what you have shared with myself, the listening audience as well as for eventually the podcast subscribers, I just want to say thank you you're talking about very pivotal central type subject matters and right now with the culture of what's happening in our world and again I choose not to err on the side of the negativity I always look for the good news, the good story, championing people uh, as opposed to oppressing people, love versus fear, hate, all that other stuff um, But for a lot of the things that are happening in our world right now, call it global warming, call it politics, call it whatever. I just want to say you're a breath of fresh air. You're absolutely a breath of fresh air.
2: Thank you, Lisa. I I appreciate you saying that. And and I appreciate all the work that you're doing. And I want to echo what you just said at the end, that many of these things that we might call problems in the world, to me, they fundamentally relate to this misunderstanding of reality of thinking that we are bodies that have consciousnesses and that creates a degree of separation and then people act in accordance with that perceived separation so i think this topic here is really pivotal in switching the the perceived view of reality so that we can improve upon the things that seem to be so negative
1: absolutely absolutely Well, you said that very succinctly. This whole interview, you spoke very articulately and succinctly. So I'm looking forward to when the podcast is released, I'm going to play this back and I'm probably going to fall asleep to it too, because it's just, you know, how it penetrates the subconscious. And I, I'm always looking for, you know, the bigger, better imprint, the blueprint for my consciousness. So I just want to say thank you personally and professionally, Mark. I think you're stellar. And uh, I'm going to be looking into getting a copy of your book. It sounds absolutely uh, amazing. You're a very remarkable human being. So to the listening audience, I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules, for tuning into yet another segment of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. My guest today, of course, Mark Gober. I, of course, being very clear on my purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. I look forward to being joined, rejoined with you again next Friday with yet another phenomenal guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Take care, love and gratitude. All my best. Bye bye.
0: Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless And to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend.